Did you see my boy Emmanuel Sanchez? Yeah, that was an easy one, huh? What'd you think about that? Uh, it's tough to it's tough to know where Galvao's really at, though. You know what I mean? I'm still not there on him. I I I like uh, in the UFC, he's a journeyman. Who Sanchez? Right? Yeah. Honestly, bro, I got him beating top ten guys such as Jeremy Stevens. I got him beating Charles Dubronx. I got him beating guys like that. I don't think you'd be either of those guys. Well, I can't wait to find out so we can bet against each other, but unfortunately we can't. We're going to find out. We are. One He's coming over? Well, here's the thing. You know, when uh, Tyron Woodley was in Atlanta for 201, you know, to, to fight Robbie Lawler, I asked Duke Rufus, like, when's uh, Emmanuel coming to the UFC? And he's like, dude, Bellator pays him really well. Like, Bellator knows what they got on their hands, and they're investing in that kid. And uh, in my opinion, he's going to go out there and beat the winner of Strauss versus Pitbull. But eventually, that contract's got to run out, and the kid's only 26. He's got to come to the UFC. Well, you're probably right. But who knows if the UFC, with their heads up their asses, will, will pay. That's true. Well, here's the thing. So the kid's getting, you know, officially, like, uh, w- what they report to us. He's getting, like, 20 and 20 at Bellator. And that was that was the last fight. So maybe it goes up. Maybe it was 25 and 25 this time, which is decent. I mean, if you think about it, oh, I'm getting 20 grand to go, you know, get into a fist fight and another 20 grand if I win. I mean, that's not that ain't too bad. I mean, when you think about it, like, oh, but the dudes in the NFL are getting 300K to sit on the bench, then, then it's like, oh, fuck, but... You know, compared to your other friends who are, you know, working at 9 to 5, if one of your boys is like, yeah, I'm just going to go and get into a fist fight and get 20K for it, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, it is, but how much are they paying out before they get there? You know what I'm saying? That's a good point, And then too. they pay taxes. What do they really come home with? At, at, at a 40, they probably come home with, what, 25? That's assuming 27? that it's actually 40 because, for example, you look at a guy like Josh Thompson and... You remember how he was getting six figures in the UFC, and then he said, "Oh, I'm leaving for Bellator for more money." And then, and then the the reported salaries come out, and I said he only got 10k, which you and I both know he got. He definitely got more. Like Ben Benson's also said he got 10k, and it's like we both know he got more than 10k. So I think there's some kind of you know under the table money going on. Also, they're allowed to have their sponsors. There's a yeah, bunch of weird sponsors, shit. That matters. But I, I'm not shitting on Reebok as much as these other people, though. You know, it sucks that certain guys... I mean, it sucks for certain fighters that they're not allowed to wear those sponsors in the octagon. But then there's a guy like Ryan Bader who, even though he left the UFC, while he was still in the UFC under the Reebok era, he's still getting six figures every fight from American Ethanol. And he doesn't wear them in the octagon. What he does is he does appearances outside the octagon. You know, you know what I'm saying? He does commercials, meet and greets, and that get, that nets him 100K extra. You know, What now, is that, sub? supplements or something american ethanol honestly isn't it like some kind of fucking like fuel or like petroleum or some bullshit i don't even fucking know bro. i mean it is but like why him i don't know he's a good old american boy i don't fucking know bro that's fucking I weird mean, you gotta you gotta sponsor the guy that got knocked down and tapped out by tito ortiz right <laughs> <laughs> amongst other things amongst other right all right, Sean Carey. Well, let's get down. Let's get let's get down to business because I heard a rumor you had, you had shit to do after this podcast. You going you I going do, back to Disney I on do. ice? No, I have, I have to draw. I have to finish a drawing that I couldn't finish during the day. Oh yeah, is that the new half the battle poster? No, it's for <laughs> actual money. <laughs> All right. Hey, don't don't tell them we're not getting paid, bro. Don't don't let them know that. 
I know, right? Or maybe we should let them know that, so maybe somebody has sent them money. Yeah, it's it's coming soon. Look, uh, believe, achieve, conceive. Shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> All right, here, here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Sean Carey Tattoo. We're going to be talking UFC 210, Daniel Cormier versus Rumble Johnson, and Chris Weidman versus Gegard Mousasi. Sean Carey. It's been a long time, man. We're we're back at it after this dry spell, it's, bro. It feels like it's been like a year, you know what I mean? And like, it was a little bit sad to see people pop up on Twitter and be like, "Oh man, I need some MMA," and then they're like, "Invicta's on," and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Have some self-respect, my friend. I'm not fucking. I don't care if there's no MMA for a year. I'm not watching Invicta. Get over it." Watch old fights. Do something. Dude, it's, it's funny. I actually made a bet on the victim. I didn't even watch it. I, I was out. How dare you? Yeah, I, I'm out. I'm out at the bar. My boys are sending me text messages like, "Hey, uh, your chick got choked out." All right. Well, th- thanks for letting me know. But luckily, Emmanuel came through the next week, so made a 1.5 unit profit on the break. But more importantly, Sean, distance makes the heart grow fonder. I am very excited to break down this car with you, and let's get down to business, man. Because look. I mean, we can start with the prelims. We can start with the main card. I'm going to let you take a pick. Is there one fight that you want to talk about specifically right out the gate? Oh, I can just randomly pick any any fight? I mean, um, Do it. Well, it's got to be Musashi and Weidman then. Oh, uh, no. You can't do co-main or main. Yeah. We got to save that. We got, well, well we, God damn it. We, you told me. Oh. Sean, we got to preheat the oven a little bit. That's the switch right there, Daniel. <laughs> Oh, I learned that term in college, um, Sean. Watch out. Well, then it's got to be my man, Flymadoff. There we go. Let's do it. So we got Magomed Bibulatov making his UFC debut. He's minus 485. And the comeback on Janelle Lauza is plus 385. And, Sean, I mean, you're either going with the Russian or you're going with the Filipino boxer. What, what are you thinking here, man? Oh, I'm definitely going with the Russian. Is, is Flymadoff a veteran? I, I was just thinking of that. That's like, I mean, I was thinking of that when I was figuring out whether I was betting him or not. Is he a veteran? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, is is Flymanoff a veteran? Is he a veteran about to debut? I mean, te- I technically, like why is. not? Technically speaking, why not? I feel like he is. I don't. When I look at him, I do not see somebody who's going to shit themselves when they get to the UFC. Uh, I definitely see something something special with him. Um, there's issues. Uh, is the competition, even though there's some names in there, is the competition real? It's questionable at best. Um, the striking defense, ugh, tough one here, but I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it. And, uh, you know, could there be some, some problems with USADA? You know what I'm saying? We don't really know that. Is when you look at his physique, it doesn't really change that much. So, those are my thoughts on his downsides. As far as his upsides, um, he's very aggressive. He keeps a tremendous pace. Um, he's. It's weird to say that he's technical because you can pull up any any bunch of clips of him just going wild. When he wants to sit down and be technical, he can be technical. I think when he wants to be aggressive, uh, the aggression can sometimes get the best of him. He gets a little too fancy for his own good. And like I mentioned before, the the striking defense, you know, could be better for sure. Um, he sh- he sh- hasn't really shown any problems with getting hit as far as how he reacts. 
Um, just striking wise, his hands are probably by themselves not better than Lausa's. Um, his overall striking, I would say, is. Uh, but the thing here is, if if he wants to, he will take you for a fucking ride. He's not even just going to wrestle in a boring manner. Like He can do all kinds of shit to you. He can throw you through the air pretty easily. Uh, he's pretty dominant on top. His ground and pound is pretty good. Um, you know, I, I am super impressed with Vladimirov. I'm glad that he's finally here. Uh, Janelle Lousa, on the other hand, um, you know, when you, when I went back to study up on him, I remember the first time around when I looked at him, I was like, yeah, okay. He's a decent striker. He's pretty fast, et cetera. When I went back and looked, it's probably even a little bit better than I remembered. Um, he is pretty sharp. He is pretty technical. We haven't seen him really against anyone at all. Um, we haven't seen him really, uh, you know, any ground game, any wrestling really tested in a, in a serious way. We've seen him shut down some takedowns. We've seen him uh, reverse a couple people. Those are regional fights. Uh, you know, there's not a lot to, to take from his early fights, but he's not terrible. He's not terrible. But what we really want to do here is, if you're the UFC, is, is set up flying off for a win, uh, get a new contender in that division, um, and that's pretty much what I think will happen. I think Flymanoff can probably uh, do some fancy things and, and stay out of danger and, and win this fight on the feet if he wants to. If it starts to get a little squirrely, I think Laos is in trouble as far as when it comes to the wrestling and the grappling. I, I think uh, Flymanoff could probably uh, pick up a 30-27. Uh, I'd like to say late stoppage because we don't really know what, what Laos is going to be like if he's, if he's on the bottom getting beaten up, so... That's, that's what I want to see. But I'm excited to see Flamidoff in the UFC, for sure. It's good to see Babulatov make that long-awaited UFC debut. I mean, look, he's got the Russian fighting style, circles around the, the ring. When it's time to throw bombs, it's time to throw bombs. This guy's got some spinning shit, too, man. And obviously, you start to get a little aggressive with him on the feet. He'll change levels, take you down. With a guy like Janelle Lauza, what he does bring to the table is that in the pocket, he's got very fast hands, and he's also a freak athlete. However, he's very green. You know, the last guy he fought was like fucking two and four, and he couldn't get him out of there. Not saying that he's not going to make improvements, because I absolutely do believe that an athlete like him will get better. But I got to imagine that the minus 485 favorite, Magomed Bulatov, is going to get it done here, whether it's a decision, whether it's a submission. Uh, I see him getting it done, but I am not going to bet this fight. Now, Sean. I had I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. I have uh, Flamidov at minus 350 in in uh, half of the parlay with with some uh, with something in the main event. It's a 3.5 units. It's my only real play of the weekend. Uh, 3.5 units. Well, if you want to talk about real plays, Sean, then we definitely got to talk about Gregor Gillespie's minus 210 and the comeback on Andrew Holbrook is plus 175. Now, Sean, I'm champing at the bit, dude, because. This, uh, <laughs> I see the money signs in my eyes right now, bro, because look, when Gregor Gillespie first got signed to the UFC, you know, I watched a couple of his regional scene fights, I was like, oh, cool, he's a D1 wrestler, well, this is the UFC, you gotta know how to strike, you gotta know jujitsu. like, I don't give a fuck what your wrestling credentials are, but then it was like, this guy just... 
ain't just a D1 wrestler, Sean. This is a D1 wrestler. This is a D1 national champ, All-American, who went in there with Jordan Burroughs in the finals. You understand what I'm saying, Sean? He's that caliber. And uh, he makes his UFC debut against Glaco Franza. And Franza's a tough guy. You know, he went three rounds with Vic. I mean, he got his face boxed off, but he's a tough guy, man. And, uh, dude, Gregor goes in there. And the the takedowns, my God, the entries, they're so powerful. You could just, you could feel the force of those takedowns. And you know what? He had to overcome some adversity too. You know, he got hit with a big straight right. He got hit with a knee. And look, when guys get hit with those kind of shots, I'm looking for their reactions. I'm looking like, well, does he have an excuse to look for the door now? Is he going to circle away and try to get his win back? Is You know, what, what's he going to do when he gets hit like that? You know what Gregor Gillespie does when he you know, quote unquote, takes a knockout blow, two seconds later, he's on top of you. That's what I look for when I'm trying to bet on someone. And I'm blown away by this kid. And I know that his striking defense, you know, it, it needs a little work. But look, this kid's built like a tank. His main training partner is Andre Harrison. Now people are like, oh, Andre's boring. This I don't give a fuck if he's boring. Andre wins fights. And so does Gregor Gillespie. So, you know, you could take your boring bullshit up your ass. If you want to make money, you fucking bet on a guy like Gregor Gillespie. And when you talk about Andrew Holbrook, look, Chris Lytle, protege, he's exciting to watch. Oh, he's exciting for me to watch, at least, because the dude gets into all kinds of funky scrambles. But, Sean, honestly, he's 0-3 in the UFC. Like, he lost to Ramsey Nijum. He lost to Neto BJJ. There's no argument there. And the Jake Matthews fight, you know, well, let's give him that. Let's say let's say he's 1-2, and two, okay? But, you know, and then someone's going to be like, but don't you like to bet on the guys that win the close split decisions like Emmanuel Sanchez or Christoph Jaco? It's like, yeah, but those guys clearly won those fights. And I know in subsequent fights, they're going to keep on winning. Whereas Andrew Holbrook, I don't feel the same way, bro. I think he's chinny. And also in that fight with Ramsey Nijum, I mean, he throws a kick, he gets taken down and Ramsey's able to capitalize. Ramsey basically rode him the entire, the entire fight. And then the next fight against Neto BJJ, he gets taken down with the exact same takedown and Neto happens to knock him out. Now, if you start, you know, throwing sloppy kicks against a D1 national champ that, you know, wrestled with Jordan Burroughs, you're going to go on your back so fast and you're not going to be able to get up. You know, people like to talk about how, you know, Holbrook's great in the scrambles and this and that. Yeah, he's great in the scrambles when he's fighting guys like Ramsey Nijum and Jake Matthews. And if you want to make a comparison here, he's going to split decisions with Ramsey Nijum and Jake Matthews. You know, you look at a guy like Vic, he's finishing those two guys in the first round, but but Holbrook, he's not on that level, bro. You know, he's he's barely competitive with Nijum and Matthews. I think that Gregor Gillespie is going to run through him, whether it's a 30-26, whether it's a submission. I think he's going to pick him up, slam him. And I think that while they're on the ground, I don't think that, uh, that Andrew Holbrook's going to be able to scramble, you know, for a knee bar or for this or for that. I don't think he's going to be able to get up. I think that Gregor's going to be so damn heavy on top that Andrew's going to gas himself out. And uh, whatever happens from there remains to be seen. But I trust Gregor so much because, look, not only uh, do I know that he has that relentless mindset to keep going forward at all costs, no matter what happens, but dude, his technique is ridiculous. He kind of reminds me of a wrestling version of Gunny Nelson. I'm not talking about, you know, the karate stance or any of that shit. I'm purely talking about the grappling. There's one particular exchange in the Glaco Franza fight where he's on top of Glaco Franza. And Glaco went for a beautiful sweep. He had the perfect technique, and I guarantee you, he would have swept anyone else, but... 
Dude, Gillespie had the most ridiculous posture to not get swept and to stay on top. I was like, oh my God. When I saw that, bro, like I said earlier, the money signs were just, you know, going through my eyeballs, bro. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do the five-unit max play on uh, Gregor Gillespie minus 210. Uh, you know, it's funny. It just dropped in my book as we're speaking. So, while you give your breakdown, I'm about to drop a stack, Sean. That is super ballsy. I can appreciate that. It's kind of weird because I, I basically agree with everything that you said. I think probably Glyco Franca probably beats Andrew Holbrook, honestly. Um, you know, but the other weird part is, is, is the things that you were thinking about Gregor Gillespie before his last fight are kind of the same things that I'm thinking now. I understand that his wrestling is good. Uh, what about everything else? Uh, should you be going, you know, uh, kind of life or death moments in that, in that first USC fight too. I'm not, I'm not super comfortable with thinking that I know things about Gregor Gillespie, despite what we saw in that first go around. Um, he's obviously talented. The, the wrestling is obviously there. Uh, he did show some, some hard nose kind of grind to him. He did come forward. He did hurt get hurt and recover all things. I generally like to see, but, um, as far as a bet goes, uh, I am I am willing to sit it out and and pass and and see if if you know Daniel's right. Basically, uh, I think he is, but I, I'm not willing to to go in on it this time around. Uh, Andrew Holbrook, on the other hand, you know, I, I know I probably say this about a bunch of people, but I only say it because it's true. Like a, Andrew Holbrook, in the grand scheme of things, is you know, white guy number 11. He's just, I can't tell you. I mean, we understand what he's supposed to be able to do well. He hasn't demonstrated that he can do that well. Uh, like Daniel said, he's, he's, you know, he probably did win the Matthews fight, unfortunately. But, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't shown anything. You would have shown something by now, in my opinion. Uh, he's never done anything that I've seen where I've classified as a special or different or unique or sharp or, or anything, you know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta look at all these fighters over the years and can you, will you remember Andrew Holbrook for any particular reason? Is there anything that he did that caught your eye? No, you know what I mean? I, I, no, not not once. I don't see anything going on with him at all. I, I, the, the ceiling is is super, super low. I don't know if he gets cut after this loss. Probably not. But, you know, he's not even the tough journeyman that you want to hold on to because he'll get a hold of a front runner and win. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't seem like that kind of guy either. He seems like he could fade just as easily. I, there's... There's just nothing going on there. The the pick is Gillespie. I understand if you're betting him. I, I would rather wait. And uh, as far as one-dimensional, um, you know, questionable wrestlers, there's a there's a different one on this card that I like, and I picked him <laughs> instead of Gillespie. <laughs> you picked the wrong wrestler. We'll get into that in a sec. But, Sean, I want to comment on the life and death thing. I don't think he went life and death. I understand he took two big shots in that fight, but... I mean, he took those shots, and then immediately, two seconds later, he's on top of the guy. That's exactly yeah, what but I want to see. He's taking him. He's taking him. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Kamaru Usman. Is Kamaru Usman taking any? Not really. 
Maybe Saturday night he will. Maybe Saturday night he will. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's what I'm saying. Here's the difference. Here, you want to get somebody who might uh, fucking find themselves in trouble against Glyco Franca, or do you want to, you know, you want Kamara Usman who's just gonna impose his will lay on top and 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 put you to sleep before he's got you sweating the bet. I mean, Francis one of these guys that he's actually dangerous, man. You watch his fights on The Ultimate Fighter. I mean, he tapped out uh, Nedo BJJ in the first round. That's the guy that knocked out Andrew Holbrook. That's the guy that's fighting Mirbek Tysumov. And then, obviously, he went the distance with Vic, and he went the distance with uh, Gregor. But, man, like I said, when Gregor took that knee, I know lesser men for sure would have turtled up and let the ref intervene. But for him to be on top two seconds later, that just shows me this guy's going to fight for his money. If he gets knocked out, he gets knocked out. But he ain't getting knocked out by, by Andrew Holbrook. This is just a bad matchup for Andrew Holbrook. He's going to neutralize everything Holbrook brings to the table because what Holbrook brings to the table is those great scrambles. You're not about to scramble with some fucking D1 national champ unless you're the shit. And... uh I don't believe that Andrew Holbrook is the shit, Sean. So for that reason, I got five units as of now. While you were talking, I just laid that stack, son. Five units minus 210. Let's fucking get it, man. And, Sean, since you wanted to talk about some wrestler, since you didn't want to bet Gregor Gillespie, I heard you wanted to bet this other wrestler, and I'm excited to talk about this one because we got Jan Blankovic. He's minus 125, and the comeback on Patrick Cummins is plus 105. What are you thinking, Sean Carey? Uh, I'm thinking that this is, you know, a very, very obvious fight. It's got one of two outcomes, and you uh, you just pick the, the the easier one. You know what I mean? Like this is it's really simple, and and it's kind of weird because I like uh, Blackovitz. I, I think he's. Uh, I would have said if I saw every fight of his before the Poker Jack fight, I'd say that he's pretty good. You know what I mean? Like. He does have surreal weapons. Uh, he does absolutely have things that he can take Cummins out with. Um, he could body kick Cummins, hurt him, get him out of there, sure. Could hit him with a straight punch. That, that's pretty easy, as we've seen. And hurt him, get him out of there. Um, but Cummins could survive getting hit and hurt. Uh, Blackovich's cardio is utter poop, as we've seen. Uh, Cummins, you know, I'm not positive he's got great cardio because I've seen him get tired, but a lot of times he's getting tired when he's, when he looks tired anyway, is because his pace is, is crazy. Uh, he really does probably put even too fast of a pace out there. So what we've got here is, is kind of two knowns and the, the known is Patrick Cummins can't really take a shot. So you're going to get a good price on him because Blackovich is a pretty decent striker with pretty big power. But the but the even bigger window here, the even more known is Jan Blackovich can't stop a fucking takedown. He can't. He can't stop a takedown, and he shows no urgency to stop a takedown. He will uh, play hand on biceps with you for as long as you want to play it with him. He's not trying to squirt out of there. He'll give you an opportunity to take him down, and if for some reason he stops it, he'll just stay there and give you opportunities until you do take him down. And when Cummins gets on top, this fucker ain't getting back up. That's five minutes right there. That's time travel. He's staying on top the whole time. And the other thing, you know, the little wild card that Cummins has going for him is when we've seen him on top and finish from there and really deliver some meanness, 
and really elbow the shit out of people, that's not a joke. That's not low-level shit that he's doing to people. That's not like uh, an accident that he pulled off one time. He has that ability when he's on top and he's holding you down and you're getting tired. He can real drop some fucking hurt on you. And, and he can absolutely do that to Blackovich. Um, we've seen people get on top of him and just beat him. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason why Cummins can't get on top of him and beat him. So, yeah, I like Cummins here. I like him to lay on top uh, 30-27 or maybe a late finish if Blackovich gets really tired. But, yeah, I understand the, the path to victory on the other side, but I think the biggest path, the easiest pick um, is – Cummins gets takedowns when he wants them, and he will. So I like Cummins, and I've got him parlayed with some, something else later in the card. Sean secretly meant to pick Gregor Gillespie. He wasn't really talking about the guy that's been knocked out three out of his last four, right? I know you're not talking about that guy, Sean. <laughs> I, I really did. It really was like a back and forth between the two of them, honestly. <laughs> I feel more comfortable. I feel more comfortable. Out of all the things that we know about these two fights, the thing that I feel best about is Blackovich's inability to stop a takedown. That, to me, is the thing that I can feel the most sure about. You know what it is, Sean? It's, it's not necessarily his inability to stop a takedown. To me, it's more so his inability to get up from the takedown. You know what I'm saying? The dude, if you get on top of this dude, he ain't getting up. But here, here are the things. So, Jan Blankovic has done a couple things that Patrick Cummins would never dream of doing. For example, he knocked out Alir Latifi in the first round. He went three hard rounds with Alexander Gustafsson. I guarantee you, Patrick Cummins ain't going no three rounds with Alexander Gustafsson. I'll tell you that right now. But then again, Styles make fights. And if Pat does get on top of him, you know, chances are he can wear him down kind of like Corey Anderson did. And after that Corey Anderson fight, you know, it was a decision. But Jan Blankovic was on the mat for five straight minutes because, I mean, he got grinded in a way where he got drowned, basically. You know what I'm saying? And that could totally happen here. But I mean, if uh, if John Blake... plenty of those flat, plenty of those flat on your back moments, you know what I'm saying? Where he he could shrimp, he could move, he did not. Right. You know what I mean? If you in the poker, the the poker jack fight is the worst, of course. But he with but with the po- with the poker jack fight, it was more of like him getting tagged on the feet, which isn't really a, you know. It's it's sad that he, that happened against Igor. That's even weirder. It's sad that that happened against Igor, but that ain't happened against uh against Pat. But here here's my thing, man. If Jan Blankovic blows Patrick Cummins a kiss, he's going to wobble him. You understand what I'm saying here? So you have to pray that Pat can get on top. Now, here's, here's why I'm saying that you should pick Gregor instead. Gregor took a fucking flying knee from hell, and two seconds later, he's on top. Gregor took a straight right to the chin, and two seconds later, he's on top. When Patrick Cummins gets hit... The dude doesn't know where he is. The dude's thinking about, uh, you know, call, calling someone for help. You know what I'm saying? Like, the dude, little Nog knocked this guy out. Like, that, that, that's, it's just the worst chin we've ever seen but, in our lives. But if he gets Greg, on top, I understand. Gregor Gillespie is, is, not, is not wrestling a, a lost child, though. You know what I mean? Like, you sure? At least my guy, <laughs> while he might suck a little bit, and yes, will fall over at the slightest provocation, is, you know, He's going to be wrestling a lost child out there, for sure. Well, Sean Carey, I wish you luck. Because, I mean, obviously, like you said, there's two outcomes. Either Pat's about to grind him out, potentially get a late finish like he did against Feijão, or he's getting knocked out stiff and the bet's going to look fucking stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like that's. Oh, yeah. One or the other. Idiot or genius. 
Yeah, true. And speaking of idiot or genius, next week there's a really good example of that. We'll talk about that later. But Sean, I wish you luck, man. I wish you the best. And next up, we got Shane Burgos. He's minus 200, and the comeback on Charles Rosa is plus 170. Now, you know, Shane Burgos, he comes out of, good, uh, out of a good camp. He trains with Tiger Shulmans. That means that one of his main training partners is Jimmy Rivera. You're training with those guys. You're going to get better every single day. And the dude's kind of a meathead, you know what I'm saying? Like, he kind of walks forward with his hands down, but the dude's got an incredible chin, so he'll take those shots, at least for now. Now, Sean, he's got really damn good striking, a very good counter left hand. I mean, he's a counter striker, but here's my thing, man. If you can make the bad decision to have a shaved head with a ponytail, then what other kinds of bad decisions are you going to make, Sean? You know what I'm saying? That's why That's why, yeah. That's why. why I didn't parlay uh, Gregor with Burgos, because you know, of his hair choice. No, nah, but here's my thing, man. With Charles Rosa... You know, he is a bit of a jobber, but he's a very tough jobber. You know what I'm saying? He, he's the kind of jobber that'll go to a split decision with the Ayer Rodriguez in Mexico. I mean, he'll get dropped with all kinds of flying kicks, but he'll still find a way to get to that split decision. In that fight against Kyle Bochniak, he gets dropped three times in the first round. And you can make an argument he lost the fight. But, man, he still comes back. He toughs it out, wins the next two rounds. So, Charles Rosa is a really tough customer. I... I I mean, obviously, there's a big technique difference here, and the technique uh, advantage belongs to Shane Burgos all day. I mean, he's faster, he's crisper, better hands, better technique, better everything, but there's certain things that I got a lot of questions about him. You know, I don't have that many questions about about Gregor Gillespie because I already mentioned, what happens if he gets flying knee? He gets on top of you two seconds later. Well, I don't know what the fuck happens if Shane Burgos gets flying knee. You know why, Sean? Because every single fight he's ever had has been an easy contest. He's never been in a real fight. You know what I'm saying? The fight with Thiago Trator was the first fight he went the full three-round distance. And the only reason that he went the full three-round distance is because every five seconds, Trator was flopping to his back. And that's credit to Burgos. Look, Burgos cracked him one time with that left hand, and Trator was like, fuck, I'm not knocked out. Well... Fuck this, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to flop to my back every five seconds and avoid the fight. That's why. But as he moves up the ladder, I have, I have a bad feeling about his style, you know? But at the same time, man, I feel like he can be a little bit too too technical for a guy like Charles Rosa. It's funny with Charles Rosa. The first 30 seconds of every single fight, the dude thinks he's a fucking Taekwondo guy and throws the ugliest sidekicks you've ever seen in your life. Then once he gets a little tired... The Taekwondo thing goes away and he turns into this tough ass grinder, which is exactly what he is. And he can take up he can take a lot of punishment and he can wind up on top in that third round. That's what you gotta be worried about. However, all that said, I do believe Shane Burgos will continue his undefeated streak and get it done, whether it's a unanimous decision, whether he becomes the first man in MMA history to finish Charles Rosa, I'm not sure. But uh, I'll go with uh, Shane Burgos to get it done here, man. Yeah. You know, I, I basically agree with you, and I'm going to end up picking Burgos. But the reason why there's no bet on this fight is that when I look at this, uh, especially, you know what, especially this year and towards the last half of last year, you know, look, kind of like a limited, super tough, hard-nosed journeyman character outlasts a front-running hot shot that we really don't know a ton about. It's just played out too many times. You know what I mean? Like, especially, like I said, last half of, definitely this year, of course, there's some big ones where that fucking happened. But, uh, you know, last half of last year, too. Um, I, I am not willing to to test that those waters here because Rosa is really pretty tough, actually. And he's, he's not as shitty and, and goofy as... Uh, standing anyway, as as like a guy like Elkins, for instance. But um, 
you know, he can stick around and he can do things, and you've got those questions. And Rosa is the kind of guy, uh, albeit limited, who can answer those questions that we don't know about Burgos. If Burgos goes out there and wipes him out, good, good for him, but those questions will continue. Um, I like Burgos. I liked him the first time around. He looked pretty damn good to me. But, yeah, kind of face first, kind of hands down, kind of like, what what is he really going to do when he starts thinking, ooh, I might lose this one. Like, ooh, this is tougher than I thought. Who knows? He might react great. He might be Frankie Edgar in there. We don't we don't know. But I, I'm not going to find out this time. This is a, a, a formula uh, for an upset with, with not the kind of price that I want. I will leave it alone. Uh, but the pick would be Burgos. Sean, I said we were going to talk idiot or genius next week but you know what let's talk idiot or genius right now because we got Kamara Uzman he's minus 345 and the comeback on Sean Strickland is plus 280 now I mean what can I say about Kamara Uzman that grind is ridiculous it's relentless he's so damn strong on top and you know I've looked for my spots to fade him and have been unsuccessful because I'm like well he's really stiff with his stand up and he'll gas out and this and that and Dude, he doesn't gas out, but he is still a little bit stiff with his stand-up. I mean, you go back and you watch that fight against Warley Alves, and people have a very uh, flawed perception of what went down in that fight. For example, a lot of people talk about how, oh, he grinded out Warley Alves, and it's like, well, did you watch that fight? He didn't He didn't get any takedowns until the third round. He outstruck Warley Alves. He broke Warley Alves, and it wasn't until the third round when Warley was completely gassed that he got a takedown. And also it was more like Worley trying to go for an unsuccessful guillotine and Kamaru ends up on top. So that was the first time that we've seen somewhat improved striking from Kamaru. But I mean, it's still uh, it's still rigid. It's still, you know you know what I mean? He's not, he's not a striker, man. He's a grinder. It is what it is. With Sean Strickland, I like this kid a lot, man. You know, he's, uh, firstly, he's 19-1 and one for a reason, right? You know what I mean? Because he wins all the fucking time, man. The dude's got an elite jab. That's the, you know, that's what, if you listen to any breakdown, everyone's going to say that he's got a great jab. But but it's the truth. You ask Sean, you ask Sean Strickland, what's your best move? He'll say my elite jab. And the dude does have an elite jab. And another thing I like about him is his footwork too. And I think that if he's able to circle around the ring, be light on his feet, pop that jab out there, I think he can keep Kamaru at bay. Now, I also believe that Sean Strickland's takedown defense is quite underrated. Now, I know in that Alex Garcia fight there were a couple of ugly moments, but look, man, he still got back up and knocked the guy out. So that's what I want to see. Even if he goes through that adversity, you know, he's not getting discouraged. He's not looking for the door. He's not like, oh, well, I guess the fight. He's not, he's not like this guy Tiago Alves we're about to talk about in a couple of fights. You know what I'm saying? If Sean Strickland gets taken down, the fight's not taken out of him. It's just, all right, you know, he, he's, he's a problem solver. I'm, I'm going to see what I got to do to get back up to my feet, whether it's, you know, whether it's stall and let the ref, you know, stand me up, whether it's push my feet on his heat on his hips and push him away and get up, like whatever it takes, whether it's wall walking, he finds a way. Now, in this particular matchup, I'm curious about Kamaru's game plan, man, because like I said in that last fight, his game plan was to stand and bang with Warley Alves and he won that. Now Sean Strickland doesn't break like a guy like Warley Alves. We all know Warley Alves is a front runner. He's a first round or bust kind of guy. If he doesn't finish you in the first round, he quits. And, you know, someone's like, oh, but he beat Juban by decision. Uh, no, no, he fucking didn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, he did not. He lost that fight. But uh, in this spot, man, I mean, look, is, is Strickland going to avoid the grind or not? You know, I spoke to Sam Alvey, and Sam Alvey told me, look, we've had heavy wrestlers on top of Strickland trying to not let him up for the last 11 weeks. That's what I needed to hear, man. I needed to hear something like that because, I mean, 
But then again, I already knew that because he's training with all those dudes, you know, Dan Henderson, Sam Alvey, Lorenz Larkin, all the Team Quest guys. And I know they bring in a bunch of Olympic wrestlers to that to have them on point. That's why that's why all those dudes got good takedown defense. So Sean being the more technical fighter, I don't see why I shouldn't take a one unit shot at plus two eighty. Well, I, I know I shouldn't because I'm going to get plus 300 in a little bit when all that hype money comes in on Kamaru Usman. Now, it's either going to be idiot or genius. Either Kamaru's going to go out there, grind him out like he does to everyone else, or uh, this is going to be that first UFC L, and I'm not going to be surprised because the way that Sean fights, he's very smart, and uh, I like this kid a lot, man. So I'm going to take a one-unit shot on here, Sean. He's very smart. He's he's almost too smart for his own good. You know, I, I like Sean Strickland, um, and and – like kind of like like the type of guy that he is is the type of guy that I like which is is weird that I'm you know I don't like him more than I do there's reasons why I don't like him more it, it's a couple things that he does that I that I hate um he really just has the inability to define that fourth gear you know what I mean? Like he has one fights late. I understand that. But when it's, how do I articulate this? It's like, you know, those guys who will push you back as hard as you push them. So you can sleepwalk them into a loss. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you just, if you just slowly do what you do good enough to win around, they don't feel the urgency to be, to, to come back harder because you're not really doing shit to them. So they just lose a split. You know what I mean? Like I know exactly what you he mean. Hasn't, yeah, he hasn't demonstrated that thing happening to him over and over again, obviously. But he is that kind of guy. I think that's what he did in the Tom Breeze fight. Although, you know, didn't get that one, though, did I? I, I, I for sure watched it fucking four more times over the past three weeks. Like... Tom Brees won that fight. Whatever. I know you think the opposite, but uh, it doesn't matter now. Um, Sean Strickland does have a good jab, but he's completely willing to stand in front of you and not use it. You know what I mean? Like, he's completely willing to wait and see what you're going to do. And if waiting to see what is going to happen and waiting to see what Usman's going to do, Usman's going to come forward. He's going to throw kind of shitty, stiff, wrestly punches. But then he's going to go chest to chest with you and he's going to push you up against the cage and maybe Strickland is good enough to, to not get taken down or to get taken down and stand back up. But there goes three minutes, you know what I'm saying? And if nothing really happens and, and the pace is not high and it's a real slow and boring fight, does Strickland turn up the volume? Does, does Strickland, is Strickland the one who goes, well, i got to win this fight. Let's get it going. Not really. You know what I mean? Like, he just doesn't seem like that's in him. You know what I mean? Yet, anyway. Um, I'm not going to bet this. I think the, the smart way to go would be Strickland, because overall, I think he's the more skilled dude here. But, you know, matchups do make the fight, and, and Usman is that kind of guy who's going to kind of just, like the tide just coming in, just not really doing anything, but just coming forward enough and wrestling enough and pushing you up against the cage enough and to win a round where nothing really happened and then to do it three times or to do it two out of three times. I can totally see that. Uh, but the way the price is, you know, the value is absolutely on Strickland. I just, I just don't think he's going to win. I think he's going to kind of piss it away. 
you know, so, it, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope Daniel wins. Uh, Strickland with some fire under his ass could be really fucking good. But that fire from what I've seen is not there. Well, hopefully it appears and hopefully it's plus 300. So we'll have to see what happens, man. And next up, Sean, we got Will Brooks. He's minus 270, and the comeback on Charles Dubronx Oliveira is plus 230. And, you know, I am kind of surprised by the line. And at first when it was plus 320 Oliveira, I was like, oh, I got to bet this and this and that. And then I go back and watch the tape. And, you know, obviously pre-tape, I'm like, well, you know, both guys are kind of mentally weak and both guys, you know, this and that. But, man, it was reiterated so much when I watched the film, Sean. I mean, Charles Dubronx is just... I mean, obviously, he can pull a submission out of nowhere. He can dangle off your neck like he did to Miles Jury. He can do all kinds of beautiful stuff. But when when he's not winning, it's it's ugly, Sean. And the dude will, I mean, the dude will fake injuries in there. The dude will tap out when when shit's not really locked in. I just I can't fucking trust this guy at all. And I thought when I saw that number, I was like, bro, I'm fading Will Brooks because I don't like Will Brooks either. Man, I always look to fade a guy like Will Brooks. I think he's you know he's a victim of hype. I don't think he's that good either. I think he's got a questionable chin. Look, he's he's athletic, he's technical, I guess, and you know, he's he's a serviceable fighter, but when people are saying this is a top 10 UFC lightweight, I'm like, give me a fucking break, you know what I mean? I don't think he's a top 20 UFC lightweight, but I think he's got what it takes to be Charles Oliveira, and the reason why Sean is because I think he's a little bit stronger than him, so you can kind of, you know, push him up against the fence, maybe take him down when he wants to. I mean, you saw Ricardo Lama's judo throw Charles Oliveira. I was under the impression that Dubronx dominated Ricardo Lamas until he got tapped out, but that wasn't really the case, Sean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was getting judo thrown by Lamas and all kinds of shit until he quit. And the fight before that, you know, he got he got stopped in the first round by Pettis. Somehow came back. You know, sometimes he shows toughness. Like in that Pettis fight when he took the body kicks and then came back in the second round to take his back, I was kind of like, wow. And also the Edgar fight, he showed toughness. But then there's those other fights like the Max Holloway fight where you know, he, he got his takedown stuffed and immediately looked for the door. You know, took a couple of body shots and was like, yeah, fuck this. So you never know. Don't be surprised if he uh, acts like he has a torn esophagus again. And then two days later on UFC Tonight, they say he's perfectly fine, Sean. But with Will Brooks, I mean, the dude does the chicken dance every single fight. Not just in the UFC. Go watch his Bellator fights. Fucking Dave, uh, what's the guy's name? Dave uh, Jansen. Dave Jansen's fucking rocking Will Brooks. You know what I mean? Like... Will Brooks is totally overhyped. However, I do think that he's big and strong enough and technical enough to neutralize a guy like Dubronx. No fucking chance in hell I bet a fight like this unless I would take Dubronx. But I'm not going to here, and I will pick Will Brooks uh, in fantasy. So, Will Brooks by decision. What are you thinking, bro? Uh, I've got a one-unit bet on Dubronx at plus 250. Uh, I love this fight as far as what we do. As far as breaking down fights and betting on them, based on, on, you know, what we think we see and, and breaking them down. I love this fight because of, of that. It's a, it's a real test because I, I really do think that I see things clearly on this one. Um, you're right about Dubronx. He, he is a quitter. You know what I'm saying? He does kind of look for the door. We've, we've seen it multiple times. You don't really need to talk about his, his sub game. Uh, it's, it's just 100% tested. It's real. It's one of the deadliest weapons in, in probably the entire sport. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, there's certain positions that he'll get you with that not a lot of other people will get you with. Um, th- that's, that's real. The reason why I'm, I'm able to look past some of that stuff and get over the hump is that last fight. Um, when a guy is 
who quits is put in a position where it would be a perfect quit, dude. You you got kicked in the body. You don't even need to get hit in the face anymore. No one's going to think it's weird if, if Anthony Pettis body kicks you and you don't get back up. Uh, that's a thing that he does to people. Um, it would have been perfectly fine to be out of it right there. He was not out of it. Um, he also waited forward and landed punches, lots of them. In a really weird way, like I was, I was so stunned to see him coming forward and just landing shots on Pettis. And a lot of this stuff is okay. What Pettis, right, Sean? Who, who, who's this Pettis that we're talking about? What kind of Pettis are we dealing with? I understand that too, but yeah, I don't think Pettis is as dead as as most people think he is. Either do I. I Either do actually, I. I agree yeah. with you on that. I think he, I think he's in there somewhere. Something's fucking funky going on. That whatever. That's a different fighter, but. To show up as as to show up like the Bronx did, even though the outcome of the fight was that he lost by sub, uh, really showed me something. This guy, a super talented guy, could be turning the corner. Maybe, maybe. You know what I'm saying? He's got time left. The weight issues are always weird. His commitment issues are always weird. His pre-fight talk about certain things about moving here or doing this, or, I don't like that either. There's a lot of question marks around him, but the good things are undeniable. And saying that he did things in that Pettis fight that he's never shown before is also undeniable. You can't, he's, he hasn't done those things before. He did them last time. Um, you know, that's half the story. The other half of the story is that Will Brooks. I never, Will Brooks is a very easy fighter to read. Um, Will Brooks cares, and, and we test, were you on Howboy in that fight too? I think you were, right? I sure as hell wasn't on Will Brooks, I'll tell you that right uh, now. Yeah, okay, well, I was on Howboy in that fight because, and it, it worked out beautifully, it, like, Will Brooks wants to look calm and deliver fancy things to you and appear to be in charge at all times. I think that it's very easy to shake Will Brooks out of thinking that Will Brooks is in charge. I think that he doesn't want to show that when it happens, and it just allows him to just kind of, like, fade. And not cardio-wise fade. He just he just kind of goes with the flow at that point. You know what I mean? Like if you respect him too much and you back off of him too much and he feels like he's in the lead and he does get to do fancy things to you, that's a fucking problem. That's a problem because he is athletic. He is pretty fast. He does have decent technical skill. Um, you know, the wrestling, uh, it's oversold at this point. It's oversold at this point. Why is, why is he a good wrestler? Really? You know what I mean? Like, because he's, he good, he's athletic really, and black. Honestly, that's why. I mean, that's kind of it, though. Was he a really good wrestler against Ross Pearson? Fuck no. He's you know not, what I'm he's saying? not like, a good wrestler. He really anyways. Show? He, he's not that's that what, good. He got muscled. He got muscled by by Howboy. He didn't get out technique. He just got muscled. And you know, I had an injury before, but whatever. No, we saw hold you get, on, hold up, Sean. We sorry. saw you get need. Exactly. Saw, he got yeah. he got need, and he made a face. And you know, people are like, "Oh, it's a fluke." Yeah. It's like, how the fuck is that a fluke? No. If you need someone with the intention to break their ribs, and you do break their ribs, that's not a fluke. Like you were trying yeah. to do that. That's one. Of, that's what Alex Cowboy does, man. Like, so I just don't get these people. It's not. 
not to mention, it, it's like the whole fight was there. It's like not the entire fight, but like the majority of the of the fight that matched what I thought I was going to see was like him with his back against the cage and making like weird eye contact with his corner, alternately looking up at the clock, taking deep breaths, like, like visually on purpose, signaling facial expressions where what is this guy doing on board? Like nothing's happening to me. Like trying to get that across to the viewer. I really feel like that. Like if you watch it, and and watch that fight with that in mind and and look at it. It's kind of obvious. And then we've seen him do it before. So please engage, whether you're pushing Oliveira against the fence or he's coming forward, please engage in some of those moments where you are snaking limbs around and calmly alternatingly looking at the clock and looking at your corner and doing weird things with your eyebrows and just acting like you're in charge even though you're not have those exchanges with Dubronx because it only takes him three seconds to some weird way, laces arm underneath your neck from direction that you are not used to. And then all of a sudden it's done. Like you're not, you're not usually going to shake out of that position. If you don't urgently react to this guy's hand going underneath your chin, you're probably going to get choked out. Uh, Will Brooks is the master at not urgently reacting. And in fact, he is the master at selling you that he doesn't need to urgently react. So sometimes he gets knees in the, knees in the ribs because of that and gets stopped. You know, sometimes a little skinny dude crawls all over you and guillotines you in a weird way and, and sends you back in the back to Bellator. You never know. I like Dubronx here. I like that matchup. I like those puzzle pieces fitting together where Will Brooks will be too relaxed in places where he should not be relaxed. And by the time he realizes he shouldn't be relaxed, it'll be too late. Dude, so I, that's, that's what I'm looking for here. I really hope you cash this play. I mean, I can't join you for the reasons that I mentioned. I just, I can't bet on this quitter Dubronx, but man... I'm not a fan of Will Brooks, and and it's nothing, it's nothing personal. It's just that like you know he he almost quits against Ross Pearson in the third round, and and then he's calling out the champ afterwards. I'm like, give me a fucking break, dude. That's what I'm saying, like, you you almost quit against a top fucking fifty guy, not not a top fifteen guy, a top five zero guy. You you know what I'm saying, Sean? I'm just like, the, fu- yeah. the fuck's up with this guy? He's got a false sense of, I don't know what it is. Is it? It's like hubris or some it's shit. Weird. Man. The dude, he, that's like, right. He's a weird head case. It's true. Dude's it's like fucking fights, man. He fucking changes his Twitter handle every three weeks. Not that that has anything to do with the fight, but it has something to do with his mind, which does have something to do with the fight. I I, I can't fuck. Right. With, I can't fuck with Will Brooks. So I, I wish you the and best. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of guessing here, Daniel. Like the things that the the weird kind of vagaries that we're talking about we can see them play out and whoever's listening to this you can go watch him play out too it's very strange how he reacts you know what i'm saying it's like he is he was pumped up from chandler fights and thought he was gonna ride on chandler fights for the rest of his career that's what i feel like you know what i mean like you can't you can't need me in the ribs i'm the guy who beat chandler yes (laughs) he totally can he totally can need you in the ribs nobody cares then you beat Chandler. Sorry, like Dubronx is the same way. If that Dubronx gets Pettis, just comes forward and lands shots and pushes him there, and then rolls around with him a little bit. Oh man, I I totally see a window for a sub there. Totally see it. 
That would make me so happy if you won that one, man. Have that you, would make me, yeah, that would be super happy. Yeah. Dude, have you noticed how when Bellator guys come to the UFC, they don't perform as well? And vice versa, when guys go to Bellator from the UFC, they don't perform well either. And I think, you know, the reason why is because, so they come from Bellator to the UFC and maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. And then when they go from UFC to Bellator, they're past their prime. So it's kind of interesting how they make that switch. And because, you know, the question's yeah. always, oh, how is he going to perform in the UFC? You know he's 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 the fucking champ in Bellator, and the dude ain't even he ain't even top twenty five in the UFC. I know he's officially ranked That's number eleven, saying. which is yeah. the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. Because you got fucking guys like Rashid Magomedov who actually are top fifteen, and he ain't ranked. And it's like Will Brooks beat barely beat Ross Pearson. I mean you could, I mean he he was looking for the door in that third round. This guy's a top eleven guy. Give me a motherfucking break. He is not a top eleven yeah. guy. And if he sticks and around, I'll look to fade him again soon. You're right against the Bellator, and, and to have that kind of pressure on you when you're already a head case is a problem. You know, Will Brooks is is like, you're not the one thinking, is this guy as good as we think he is? It's like, he's thinking that. You know what I'm saying? He's thinking, oh, I'm here now. Am I as good as I thought? You know what I'm saying? He's thinking that. It's just like when the guys go from UFC to Bellator. It's like, oh, I come from the big show. I'm supposed to kill these guys. And then they get there and they're not killing them. And then it's fucking out the window, which if you're a really hard-nosed guy who's fought through moments like that a bunch, you might be okay. But if you're a guy who <laughs> who's a head case and wants to comfortably somehow be handed a win, it could be problems. Yeah, and uh, if you're going to fade Will Brooks, I mean, you got to get on it quick because... It ain't going to last that much longer in the UFC. I mean, this guy makes 100 k every time he wins. And I guarantee you, the UFC ain't wanting to pay him that anymore after these fucking performances that he's had. You know what I'm saying, Sean? So it's not going to last that much longer, man. I'm, I'm letting you know that right now. But anyways, we got to move on. And we got Patrick the Predator Cote versus Tiago the Pitbull Alves. Now, real quick, I know I've been talking a lot of shit, but look. It's nothing against these fighters. I'm a fan of all these guys. The bottom line is that when we're investing our money, we got to be brutally honest. And if that means we got to say some shit that might hurt your feelings, maybe you should fucking turn this off. But, Sean, Patrick Cote is minus 160. Tiago Alves is plus 140. I mean, both these guys are past their prime. You know, in Tiago Alves' prime, the dude was, I mean, obviously everyone knows his leg kicks, his Muay Thai, very technical. You remember when uh, he missed weight against Matt Hughes, he weighed in fucking 174 pounds. You know, he's uh, he burns a hole in the ground when he takes a piss. He fucking flying knees Matt Hughes, knocks him out, and... Uh, Test positive and all this shit. You know what I'm saying? And, and then and then he's trying to drop to 55 against Jim Miller. Like, come on. Is that not suspicious at all, man? You know what I'm saying, dude? Yeah. And, uh, and he looked like yeah. total shit against Jim Miller. I don't care what anyone says. He looked bad against Jim Miller. And uh, now he's going back up to 170, rightfully so. He's taking on another jobber in Patrick Cote who... You know, I mean, he's just one of these fucking sloppy brawlers. I mean, he's done a couple of cool things in his recent run. Like when he did, did he knock out or tap out Ben Saunders? I feel like he almost got an armbar on him, and then he might have knocked him out. I don't remember, but bottom line is, he, you know, he's he's done some cool shit lately. But he's still that sloppy ass brawler, and I feel like Tiago could capitalize on that. But the problem with Tiago is Tiago gets discouraged when things don't go his way. So we got Tiago, who's the more technical guy. And we got Patrick Cote, who's the tougher guy. So, who you got, the tougher guy or the more technical guy? Because honestly, since it's plus money on Tiago, you know, picks wise, I'll pick Tiago, but bet wise, I'm staying the fuck away, bro. Well, I am not staying away because 
I've got two units on this fight doesn't go to the distance at plus 130. I don't know how that ended up there, but I, I love that. Um, you know, this fight being fight of the night is not a bad bet either. I don't know, that, you know, that's not out yet, but look, both are washed. Both are chinny. Both hit hard. Both want to do damage with leg kicks. It's weird to think of Kote and big damage with leg kicks, but yes, he does actually look to do damage with leg kicks. It's pretty weird. Um, you know, they both want to trade and they both want to land. Like, somebody's falling over here. Somebody's going down. Um, you know, Kote is, is much bigger uh, regardless of weight class. I and mean, Kote is basically always bigger than everybody. It hasn't you know, it hasn't made him win every time, but, um, you know, a, a hard nosed dude, uh, you know, what is there to say besides both these guys are giant question marks that are well past their prime and both want to land bombs. Somebody's falling over, right? Do we need to pick a winner when the, when this fight doesn't go to distance is plus one thirty? No, you don't like that. I'll just go to this. Dude, I mean, I got no idea because I could see Cote taking him down and discouraging him. Staying on top for three and not beating him up? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's going to beat him up. And Or, 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 or you know what? I'll, I'll give you this, man. It could be like the Martin Campman fight where Tiago's getting off on his leg kicks. He's putting on a clinic and then he shoots in for a takedown against Guillotine in the third round. I hope that happens for your sake, bro. Yeah, I, I love that bet. Honestly, I, I don't know who the fuck is going to win. It's going to be whoever lands first. They both have – one has the explosive ability to get you with one thing, and the other guy can just mount volume on you and, and get you out of there. Even if he wrestles on top, um, you know, he's still going to be – he doesn't just lay there. He's going to be looking to land shots. He's going to be looking to do damage. His elbows are decent. Um, you know, Alves is – filled with scar tissue he could just pour blood until they stop the fight there's a lot of ways that this could could end quickly too and and i see a maybe a couple routes where it's going to go to the distance but i'm getting plus money so that's pretty easy so i'll take the plus money i'll also pick cote but uh yeah plus money on doesn't go to distance sure Sean, you seen any good movies lately, man? Because we got Cynthia Calvillo. She's minus 270. Come back on Pearl Gonzalez is plus 230. In my personal opinion, they were they were impressed with Cynthia's UFC debut, and they put her on pay-per-view for the second straight time. They're bringing in this Pearl Gonzalez chick to lose, and I feel like the scrambling ability of Cynthia Calvillo is going to be the difference here, man. She trains out of Team Alpha Male, as you saw in that last fight. Even though it was against a fucking one and two fighter, right? The the transitions were slick, and with a girl like Pearl, you know she does have stoppages over Courtney Casey and Cindy Dandois, so she has beat some vets in women's MMA. But this is that UFC debut. I believe Cynthia Calvillo is the more technical fighter. Uh, Sean, you got any uh, any movie recommendations for me? Maybe a good book, maybe a good album. Even though we don't buy CDs anymore, what are you thinking, dude? As, uh, Legion ended really good. I don't know if anybody watches Legion, but I'm warning if you haven't watched Legion and you want to sit down, it's only eight episodes and you want to watch it all the way through, be prepared for like a dead spot at episode four and five, but man, is it worth it to get to, to episode seven and eight. Legion is very good and definitely Sean, worth your time. I heard you didn't like Narcos. I did not. Well, okay. I, when I say I don't like Narcos, it doesn't mean like, uh, 
like I thought it was dumb. It's just something about it just didn't catch me where it was at the end of the episode and and I could kind of take it or leave it on as far as watching another one. You know what I'm saying? It just didn't do anything for me. So it wasn't bad, but it didn't do anything for me. That's that's too bad because it was right? fucking awesome, man. I know a lot of people love it. That's why I tried to watch it, but I was like, yeah, all right. And one of my friends was like, well... I'm usually doing shit when I have t- uh, TV shows on in the background, so I couldn't watch Narcos because it's all in Spanish. I was like, oh, man. All, all my fucking <laughs> friends ain't liking this shit. But, dude, you know what's something we do like? Gegard Musasi. He's minus 120, mm-hmm. and the comeback on Chris Weidman is plus 100. Now, this is kind of funny. I'm going to break down the fight in a sec, Sean, but listen. Last Chris Weidman fight, you picked him. I picked against him. This Chris Weidman fight, I'm picking him, and you're picking against him, uh... Interesting, right? Yeah, it happens. It happens God indeed. But you know what? Look, Gegard Musasi, he's got the momentum. He's at the best point of his career currently. I mean, we, we don't got to break down his calm, technical style. That jab is so surgical. I mean, you get hit in that jab like Talos Latis did, and uh, your eyes start watering. You don't want to be in the fight anymore. His grappling's always been great, but it's gotten better to that next level now. You know, he's getting on top of dudes and pounding them out. And fuck, man, Gegard's a fucking beast, bro. And with with uh, Weidman, man, his back's up against the wall, Sean. You know what I'm saying? With some guys, when their back's up against the wall, they fold. With other guys, they rise to the occasion. This is do or die for Chris Weidman. This is in New York again. I know last time was in New York, but this is his second time, his second rodeo. And last time, you know, I was saying some things like, Chris Weidman's acting weird, man. You know, I heard interviews with him last time. This is this before the UL fight. He was saying, like, oh, it doesn't even feel like fight week. I'm going to sleep in my bed. This, I'm like, yeah, this, this dude's head ain't in the game. But this time, the dude knows, like, hey, man, if I lose this fight, it's over, bro. So, you know, I heard he's, he's not even fucking sleeping in the same bed as, as his wife and all this shit. He's going to be at the fighter hotel on fight week. I'm saying during the camp he wasn't sleeping in the same bed as his wife. You know what I mean? He took this camp seriously. And, you know, I made a bunch of comments about how Oh, Weidman's been looking skinnier his last few fights. Well, motherfucker, he put a couple pictures up on Instagram. Dude ain't looking skinny at all. Dude's looking in the best shape of his life. Now, it's one of those situations where it has Musasi surpassed the level of Weidman. The reason I ask that is because, look, yes, Musasi is on that win streak. He does have the momentum. But all those dudes he beat, Sean, he would have beat them prior to this fucking streak. You know what I mean? These are the kinds of dudes he's beat throughout his entire career. You're telling me he wouldn't beat fucking Talos Latis and, and, you know, Old Man Vitor, Uriah Hall, and who, who's the other guy in there that he beat? Oh, Tiago Santos. Uh, you're telling me, you're telling me yeah, he, yeah. He, he wouldn't have beat those dudes five years ago? Because in my opinion, he absolutely would have. It's just, now it looks right, like... Right, but he, he, didn't, he didn't squeak them. He crushed them. Well, he didn't used to squeak dudes back in the day. I mean, back back in the day, finished Mark Hunt in the first round, finished Jacare Ray in the first round. I mean, he used to destroy dudes back in the day too. It's just now that he has a streak in the UFC, it looks really fucking good. And, you know, his confidence, he, he carries himself like a champion. And I do believe he wants to be the world champion. Historically speaking, this is the kind of matchup that gives him problems. It's always that... That tough-nosed wrestler. And with Chris Weidman, not only is he a good wrestler, I mean, you know, D1 All-American, obviously. He's the kind of guy that beat Phil Davis and Ryan Bader in pure wrestling, not in MMA, in wrestling, Sean. But he's got a very deceptive range in his stand-up. You know what I'm saying? Like, dudes are, get kind of surprised when they're in there. They're like, damn, this dude's fucking long. You know what I'm saying? And then in that Anderson Silva fight, the second one, he's throwing body kicks at Anderson Silva. I'm like, this, dude, this dude's ballsy, you know what I mean? But he had a couple bad fights. The Luke Rockhold fight, obviously... 
took an ungodly amount of punishment there. And then the Yoel Romero fight, I mean, but look, I always bet on Yoel Romero. It's Yoel. He, he's always the underdog and he always wins. So I, I'm going to brush that aside. Yoel would beat Gegar Mousasi in my personal opinion. But now we got Gegar versus Chris, and it's really interesting. Look. I took the one-unit shot on Chris Weidman at plus 115. Even though, it's funny, you know, I'm picking Musasi, but I'm betting on Weidman. But now, here's the thing. Someone's going to be like, oh, you're just doing that so you could be right no matter what. And it's like, nah, bro, not at all. Because the only thing that's right is the money. I don't give a fuck about some Yeah, some if the pick. bet is wrong, you're wrong. Yeah, if yeah, the bet is wrong, exactly. I'm wrong. I, I don't care about some pick. I'm not here to, to you know, get credibility for picks. I'm here to get credibility yeah, for not, bets. We're you know not picking. Saying? Not not, yeah. not that I even care about that, man. I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know what it is. But here's the thing, man. I think a plus one fifteen on Wyman is is worthy of taking a shot here. His back's up against the wall. The dude's more motivated than he's ever been. He needs this win so badly, Sean. Now, how's it actually going to go down? Well, on the feet, you got to fucking watch out for that jab of Musasi all day. You got to watch out for the inside leg kicks. You got to watch out for the way that he mixes up his game. But I think that Wyman. Is a smart guy. When he shows up, he's smart, man. I mean, you remember that fight with Machida? Outstruck him for five rounds. And uh, if he gets on top of Musasi, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Musasi's takedown defense has gotten so much better. This is a tough-ass fight to call. It's going to be a close fight. Maybe it's not going to be a close fight. But plus 115, Sean, I got to take my chances. The only reason I didn't go big on it is because, look, man, I don't. I have no fucking idea what's going to happen here. This is a close-ass fight on paper. Prior to the matchup actually happening, it's close. You know, watch on Saturday night. Someone's going to get knocked out. But right now, it hasn't happened yet. And it is. Uh, we're currently recording on Tuesday night of fight week. So on paper, it's a very close matchup. But I had to take the plus 115 on Weidman because the way I line this fight, Sean, is minus 110 apiece, right? So if I'm thinking it's minus 110 apiece and I have a plus 115 on someone... I got to take that shot. So, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I think that this is a worthwhile play. You know, I I do not blame you. I am picking and betting Musasi, but as, you know, you and whoever listens to this know, occasionally I just have ideas and hunches and they don't make sense or they they uh, go against the grain paper-wise and I usually just go with them just because I can't stand to go against them. In cases where I have that hunch and goes go against it, it fucking usually works out terribly for me. When this fight was first made, I went and watched right away just to make sure that I was going to bet on Musasi. And I was like, no, wait a minute. And then I switched, and I was like, oh, Weidman's going to win this fight. It's, he's going to wrestle. And in the and besides the wrestling, it's it's like smash and grab. Like there is one particular thing that bothers me at the end of the third round in Latus and Musasi, the punches that Latus dings him up with at the end of that round made me go back and watch more Chris Weidman striking and just got me worried for some reason. Well, it didn't get me worried, made me happy because I, at that point I was like, Weidman's going to win. It's, it's, now that I've reversed myself and I've decided that on paper that the momentum is too strong versus, you know, back-to-back knockouts and, and I'm on Musashi now, I'm still worried about those punches versus latest. It, you know, like you said, you nailed it too. It is a deceptive range. It, it is weird. It is a little sloppy and jumpy and like the footwork is kind of bad actually. Like, He's jumping into to big round hooks from both sides, some, sometimes from switch, too. And, and it's like the really brawly kind of 
unorthodox slop is kind of what takes super technical guys off guard. And, and this is that kind of thing. Um, besides that particular punching thing that I just talked about, you know, Musasi has problems and has had problems with getting taken down. How has his takedown defense changed since those problems? Um, it has changed. It, it's changed in a way where obviously with his back against the cage, his takedown defense is just technically stronger. Like he, he knows exactly what to do right away and does it right away. He also isn't as willing to stay there and, and have those little clinchy exchanges with you. He's more wanting to get out. Um, both those things factor in good for Musasi. How has Musasi's striking changed? I think Musasi's striking has changed dramatically. Um, I think for some reason where he always had a good jab and could land it and could jab leg kick people to death, perhaps he's looking to do more to you. And now he's like, no, jab leg kicking you is enough because it's going to bring me a knockout. And my problem was in the past when I jab leg kick you for too long with too much time in between, I let you stay in the fight and then weird things can happen. Now he's like, I'm going to jab leg kick you to set up things. And then when I see my opening, I'm sure shit going for it. And he's going for the finish. Now he is definitely mean Musashi now. Um, we've seen it too many times in a row to not believe it anymore. Um, this is a huge fight for him. He's basically going to be undeniable for, you know, uh, he could easily be next if he does this and if he gets rid of Weidman and looks great. It's probably, you're not going to be able to tell him no at this point. If it goes three, that's a different story. Uh, he's right. He's right on the cusp. He's right on the cusp. On the other side of the coin, you know, most, uh, Weidman's back against the wall, two losses. Oh, I, I do believe that he's a tough guy. I do believe he's talented. I do believe he's strong. But on paper, the momentum versus the knockouts, he's too technically outgunned. I've got to go with Masasi. I've got to, I've got to tell my, my gut to shut up and listen to my brain on this one. And that usually is bad, but I'm doing it anyway. I got a, uh, Two units on Musasi, and uh, I am picking Musasi, of course. May the best man win. I mean, regardless, man, I'm going to be happy for whoever wins because Musasi, he's worked so hard to get to this point and to finally see him realize a UFC title shot, that'd be an epic way for him to end his, his long, illustrious career. And obviously with Chris Weidman, I'd be happy for him too. You know, two back-to-back brutal losses. He's in New York. I mean, he's one of the guys that helped bring the UFC to New York. It'd be nice to see him get a win as well. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to tune in and find out, right, Sean? That there's a reason we both didn't max bet either side, you know, because it's such a close fight on paper. But it is it's close, man. The main event of the evening, Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's minus one twenty five, Sean, and the comeback on the champ, Daniel Cormier, is plus one hundred five. Now. I mean, this is one of those fights where, dude, I, I guarantee you if they fought 10 times, something different would happen every single time. But 
one possibility is that Rumble can knock him out because Rumble can knock out anyone in that weight class. I mean, Rumble's got that one hitter clitter. One hitter. <laughs> I just said one hitter clitter, Sean. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that one hitter quitter. And, um, you know what I mean? He can knock out anyone in that weight class. I mean, look at his last three fights Jimmy Manuel, Ryan Bader, Glover Teixeira. I mean,. He blew them out the water, bro. <laughs> like he he killed them. These guys are never gonna come back the same. Well, maybe Jimmy Manuel, but at the same time, he is in there against guys like Corey Anderson. So that's not really telling me much. But still, when they rise up to that elite level against a, an Anthony Johnson, that's what happens. And with DC Cormier, one thing I love about this guy is his mindset. And you know, he, when he was breaking down the fight on the countdown, I fucking love what Daniel Cormier said about it. He's like, "Is is Anthony Rumble Johnson a better striker? Yes. Am I a better wrestler? Yes." But the biggest gap between us is our mental toughness. And DC is so right about that, man. I mean, he couldn't be more accurate. However, the one thing he didn't mention was if he's knocked out cold, you know, it don't matter how tough you are. You know, the saying goes, tough gets knocked out. And the last time DC was, was able to weather the storm. But since that point, Sean... He went in there with Alexander Gustafsson. He beat him. I mean, he fucking put a whooping on Gustafsson. But the moments that that Gustafsson had success, he dropped DC with a knee. You know, he took down DC a couple times. DC took some damage in that fight, Sean. It was a five-round war. Then the next fight against Anderson Silva. I mean, DC completely dominated him. But in that last round, man, kind of got a little hurt from a body kick. And also, you would have thought that DC would have went in there and knocked out Silva. I personally thought he was going to go out there, swing bombs, and take him out. Now, some people are like, oh, he was being nice to him. It's like, it's like I want to slap you yeah, for something. Why would you do that? Like, like not, I yeah. want to three-finger slap you for saying that he was nice to him. Because, look, this is, a, this is a UFC fight. Half of your purse is on the line. Your friends are watching. Your family's watching. The bragging rights. Everything's on the line. And you're telling me this guy's going to get in there and be nice to someone just because he's an older gentleman, even though that older gentleman's trying to take him out? Like, I don't buy that for a fucking second, Sean. What I believe is that, you know, even though DC is he's still great, he's amazing, but I do think he's slightly, slightly, he's slowing down. And he, and I'm questioning if, he, if he's as durable as he once was because with his style, man, that forward pressure, he'll take everything you got. And he's not going to, you know, he, he made another great quote. He said... We're, there's going to be a point in this fight where we both get tired and we're both exhausted. You know, we've both taken damage. We're both beat up and bloodied. But I'm not going to have my eyes on the door. I was like, man, DC is such a badass saying shit like that. But here's the thing, Sean. He's right if he can weather the storm. But if he cannot weather the storm, he's going to be unconscious uh, looking up at the lights. Now, I have heard an angle where what if DC, I mean, what if Rumble beats him up for five rounds similar to how he did to Phil Davis. Now, my response to that, Sean, is, look, DC is not a dude that fucking runs away and avoids the fight like Phil Davis. Yeah, that's, that's there, totally there, different. There's totally a, different. There's a reason that it was a decision against Phil because, you know, Phil's one of the hardest guys to hit, and it's not because he's got some crazy head movement or this or that. It's because he runs away and avoids the fight. You know what I'm saying? It's because he doesn't want to hit you. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so with DC, you know what I mean? DC's going to be in the face of Rumble, and... He sets a serious pace, and the question is, is Rumble going to burn himself out? Is he going to get overexcited? I do believe that Rumble has matured a little bit since that fight, even though his problem has always been if he can't knock you out and you get on top of him, you, you take his back. You know, he, It's not like he's fighting the hands or anything like that. He, he's going to quick tap. You know what I mean? That, that's always been the deal with him. I don't get it. why. Maybe it's because he's a bully out there. You know what I mean? The dude's got so many physical gifts, and, 
I mean, he's got the touch of death. He can just touch you one time, send you flying across the octagon, and you're out cold. Like, when you have those kind of abilities, and if someone walks right through it, it, it breaks you. So here's the question, Sean. Is, is DC going to walk through it again? I'm not entirely convinced he can, man. And if he does, I'm not going to be surprised. You know, much respect to him. But in this spot, Sean, I took the Anthony Johnson inside the distance prop. Now, I normally don't fuck with these props because, I mean, to me, it's just like, you know, people are people are betting like Joseph Duffy inside the distance to beat Reza, and then it's like, well, he goes out there and 30-26s him. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm I'm betting a, uh, you know, Dustin Poirier inside the distance to beat Jim Miller, and then he goes out there and destroys him for two rounds, and then gets his calf kicked off in the third. So these inside the distance props haven't been too kind to me. However, with Rumble in this particular spot. I do believe that it could pay off here. Now, another reason I took that shot, Sean, is because at the time, the the KO line was actually worse than the inside the, worse, yeah. than the inside the distance line. That that makes no sense. So whenever you see an, and it's not one of those you know bookie errors where you know the fucking the the favorite is that dog money. You see these fucking clowns saying shit like, "Oh, uh, Claudia D- Gadelia is plus three eighty in my book." I'm about to get rich, and it's like, no, you fucking idiot. You're about to get banned from your book. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, these fucking, right. These fucking rooks, man. But uh, in this spot, it wasn't some bookie error. It was a public error. The public took the line the wrong way, and the, and the fucking inside the distance prop was nicer than the KO prop. So I fucking put one unit on that plus 110, one unit because I respect DC so much and because, uh, you know, my success with the props, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm honest about everything, man. My success with the props isn't as good as my success with, with underdogs or, you know, just regular straight plays. So one unit, Anthony Rumble Johnson inside the distance plus 110, and uh, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens, dude. Yeah, um, you know, if you're listening to the show, you don't need us to explain to you who DC or, or Rumble are. Let's talk about what's different this time. Um, you know, a full camp for, for Rumble. Uh, the experience of already having fought DC. Um, the experience of having dropped DC. Um, Sean, you know, Sean, sorry, sorry, to re- sorry to interrupt, bro. But one thing about that, that, that punch that he dropped him with, a lot of people are like... Oh, he took Rumble's cleanest shot and got back up. No, he didn't. Not clean. That, that shot was not, not on the chin. That shot was on the head, exactly. on the forehead or the temple right. or something. So just high on the out. head. High yeah. on the head. Yep, that was definitely finding this, uh, finding its way into my breakdown as well. That that was not a super clean shot from like honestly, if that was like uh, you know maybe an inch and a half in a different spot he's champ right now because that wasn't a clean shot and it still sent him flying across the ring and you know he was obviously hurt but that wasn't a clean shot it, it, it wasn't they've watched it 60 trillion times um, what's changed for DC is that you know you can say he doesn't have Kane in camp but honestly you know how often does he really have Kane in camp how legit is Kane in camp is he's probably injured all the time. So is that a big deal? You know, maybe not as big of a deal as, as people want it to be. Uh, you know, DC has been getting hurt more than we've seen him get hurt throughout his career. Uh, DC has had a ton of injuries, um, you know, more as of recently. Uh, he's got a bit of a layoff right now. Um, you know, he's getting a bit long in the tooth too. Uh, he's, I've, I've heard 
last talk fight I've or excuse me, last fight talk. I've heard uh retirement talk. Um he just wants that John Jones fight. It, you know, you want John Jones fight and you gotta get through this fucking monster, that's not great. You know what I mean? Like th- does he have a problem getting up for fights? Was that the deal with the Anderson fight? Was he not up for that? I mean, I can't blame him for, like, if anybody ever is going to have a letdown spot, that's, like, the best letdown spot ever. And while he didn't lose his letdown spot, man, he looked fucking terrible in his letdown spot. He did. He could have finished kind of in whatever he wanted to, really. Just didn't, though. Just had nothing going for him. Um, this time, how I think this fight is different is... I think Rumble will be a little more measured as far as how close he is to DC. Um, I think he is going to try to play a little bit more of a Phil Davis, Andre Arlovsky kind of game. Uh, you know, we you talked about this, but the difference between Phil Davis, he's not he can't tag up DC like that for five rounds. He did that to Phil Davis for three because Phil Davis doesn't want to get close enough to hit you. He, you know what I'm saying? Like he's only interested in not getting hit. It's not like he sits down and delivers. Um, you know, DC basically has to come forward. He, he certainly can't win the fight at the end of Rumble's range. He has to come forward. Um, I think Rumble will be looking to bait him into more things. Uh, being cautious of the takedown, but not too cautious. Um, you know, keeping in mind that it's a five round fight, looking to pace himself. That's what I feel from, from rumble. I, I think rumbles more ready for this knows. This is the chance has a totally beatable guy in front of him and somebody he's already damaged. Um, on the other hand, would anybody, me, you be surprised if, DC did weather a shot, close the distance, did it to him long enough to grind him down enough and get him tired, get on top and, and choke him out and win the fight? No. That could totally happen. It could be an exact replay. It really could. Um, Rumble, no matter what you think of him or how different he looks or he's smarter or he's matured or he hasn't, whatever. If if he gets tired, he's going to quick tap when you go to choke him. It's kind of proven at this point that that can definitely happen again. Uh, but overall, Daniel, tell me if you're with me on this one. Like, don't you feel like it's Rumble's time? Doesn't it feel like that? He's been this monster kind of in the shadows, like, you know, the third guy, the fourth guy, the guy who can beat anybody, but he doesn't because this, you know, his Achilles heel, it just keeps on showing up, showing up. Isn't it time? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Here's, here's, here's the thing. With when, that. Here's the thing, man. It does feel like it's time, 100%. But the I try not to think about that because you remember when Rory McDonald fought Robbie Lawler the second time and everyone's like, oh, it's Rory's time to become champ. And then he got his fucking face broken off and he was never the same ever again. I understand this is a completely different fight, but I always think about that, that specific fight when people talk about someone's time. That said, I 100% agree. It is Rumble's time. Yeah, I feel like it's time. I feel like it's... It, this is the the right moment, and I think he's going to get that John Jones fight. I, I like it. I like the setup. I'd like to be rid of DC. Uh, you know, I don't know how I ended up disliking DC because I was on the fence about him. I think the Anderson fight probably did it to me. I don't, I don't like 
you know, I did not like that fight at all. I don't like the way he was about that fight. And the shit that he said about it recently uh, made it even worse. But, yeah, I think he eats one. I think he eats one and he goes to sleep. And that's that's the end of DC. I think he retires. Rumble, new champ. Yay. That would be sweet. I got sweet. Rumble inside the distance, by the way. Yeah. That would be sweet yeah. to see Rumble Johnson as the champ, man. I mean, he's like literally the, the Mike Tyson of the 205-pound division with head kicks. I, I love this guy, so... But I like DC too, man. I mean, I got a lot of respect for that guy. He's a fucking, he's a badass. So may the best man win, but hopefully the best man is Rumble because we go, we both got bets on him, and it'll be nice to see him realize that UFC goal. But Sean Carey, we got a couple prelims to talk about, man. We got Josh Emmett. Now, real quick, don't look at the line. Do, do you do you know what the line is right now between Josh Emmett and Desmond Green, man? I don't. Okay. Do you want to take a guess? Do you want me to keep? I'll guess. I'll I'll give. I'll make Emmett minus one forty. Okay. So what is it? Josh Emmett's minus two thirty in the comeback on. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh no! And the the comeback <laughs> the comeback on Desmond Green is plus one ninety five. Oh, you're making me bet on Des Green. I'm not doing it. I know, right? I'm, nope. I'm thinking about it, bro. Now here's the thing, man. I mean. You got two wrestlers in there. Josh Emmett, I'll tell you what, man. He finds a way to win, even though, you know, kind of gassing out against Scott Holdsman and breaking his fingers against John Tuck. I mean, you're going to split decisions with those guys. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure if he's on that level or if you want to blame the injuries, but I'm not going to blame no injuries because let's say he gets injured here again. You know what I'm saying, Sean? So for me, the way those fights went down, he's split decision level with Scott Holtzman and John Tuck. Similar to how Andrew Holbrook is split decision level with Ramsey Ninja. You understand what I'm saying here, Sean? And with Desmond, oh, yeah. with Desmond Green, I mean, look, it's ugly. It's not the prettiest, but he finds a way to get it done. He's a long-term winner, and his only losses recently were, you know, a five-round close decision to Andre Harrison. Andre Harrison's a super tough guy to beat. And the other one was a split decision against Kurt Hollibow that a lot of us thought he won. But bottom line is, aside from that, he's been winning most of his fights. And this is a long time coming. I mean, the dude's 19-5. and five. He's gotten all the experience outside of the UFC that he could have gotten. Dude's a athletic grinder. I mean, like I said, it looks ugly, but he finds a way to win. And, you know, I know in his last fight, <laughs> he, so he dominates this guy. And uh, after the fight, man, it looked like he died, man. I mean, he, like, had an oxygen tank. It was a super scary moment. When I was watching, I was like, oh, my God, is is he going to die? Like, what the fuck just happened? Like, I was worried, man. And uh, here are my things with that. So I spoke with him after that. He said that, look, man, I was super dehydrated that whole day. My body wouldn't take any liquids, no water, no Gatorade that entire day. So... I just felt terrible, and then he goes out there, overexerts himself, still wins the fight, Sean, and then has to have an oxygen tank. Now, if this happened multiple times, then I would be like, yo, guys, look out. This is a major red flag. But the fact that it's only happened one time in 24 fights, I mean, I think it's an anomaly, man. I think it was a one-time thing. Look, if it happens again here, okay, we're going to have a completely different discussion. Then it's really a problem, but... You know, it, it happened one time, man. Everyone's bound to have an off night. And with Josh Emmett, one thing I like about him, man, man, he's a hard-headed wrestler. He's one of these dudes that you throw an overhand right at his forehead, you're going to break your hand. You know what I'm saying, Sean? Like, he's one of those guys. And uh, he's just tough, throws big bombs. This is a really intriguing matchup. The only thing I disagree with is the line. It should not be minus 230, plus 190. It should be a, it should be a pick em. But 
That said, do I trust Des Green enough to go out there and get this win? I know plus 195 is real nice, but I kind of want to see uh, how he stacks up on the UFC level. Now, I know people are going to talk about, oh, two fights ago he beat a guy that's 5-0, and but the way I look at it, Sean, is like this is a former 145-er, and he went up to 170, just manhandled a dude twice his size real quick. Yeah, he laid on him for three rounds, but I don't give a fuck. When we're betting money, all you got to do is get your arm raised. I don't care if it's a DQ, if it's a split decision, if it's a controversial decision, a KO, a sub. I don't care. A win is a win. The question is, can he go out there against a guy like Josh Emmett and beat him? Now, I know Dez is going to show up for this fight. This is his UFC debut. Like I said, he's 19-5. and So for your 25th fight, he's going to come in here prepared. It's just a matter of, is that enough to beat Josh Emmett, Sean? You know, something weird about this fight when it when it was first made and I was thinking about it is like imagine if Des Green every every fight that he's had that was in a different organization was in the UFC instead. But against the same opponent, but in the UFC. Wouldn't we go into this fight against Josh Emmett thinking that he has a humongous experience gap and that he was a veteran and he was gonna know what to do and that and relatively Josh Emmett was kind of green, you know what I mean? Like when you just look at their competition, but it's like Des Green's competition has not been bad. It's just, I feel like we're selling it short because it wasn't in the UFC. On the other hand, if you take Josh Emmett's UFC fights out of it, his competition has not been great. You know what I'm saying? Like we, you even said it in your breakdown. Can Des Green get it done against a guy like Josh Emmett? Who is a guy like Josh Emmett? Do we know anything about Josh? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel like that Josh Emmett is a known commodity. He's kind of, you know, squeaked a couple wins. But, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is it about Josh Emmett that that when, it, when it's go time that, that he's got anything that Des Green doesn't have? Des Green probably while not wilder or more aggressive, is probably a better, more technical striker. I think overall the wrestling is better. He looks like the stronger guy. Um, you know, this is a really weird matchup, but I don't know... I don't know in comparison how Josh Emmett kind of rose to a, a Des Green level. Like, Des Green has been around forever, winning forever. And, and Josh Emmett has been training with good people, but floating around regional circuit and, and feels like a uh, he got here real late type situation. It, it's a, This is a real weird matchup. I'm going to pick Des Green, but I'm not going to bet him. I'm going to pick him too, and I'm not going to bet him, man. We're some pussies, huh? I guess. I mean, it is kind of pussy, especially since I lost track of the line completely because I was like, oh, I'm not fucking with this fight. And now it's... 195, well, shit. I don't know. Like, you know, he is the more polished guy. He is the better guy. So, I mean, I wish there was somebody who was way into Josh Emmett in this fight who could explain to me why that number exists. But I don't think we're going to get that from anybody, really. Man, well, there is some time between now and Saturday, so you never know. Might have to take that shot, man. I'm just, I just want to see how he performs, you know? I want to sit back because I feel like I don't know enough, but everything you said is so true. I mean, the guy is experienced, and, you know, he's trained at a bunch of different camps. He's been in there at TriStar. Now he's, uh, you know, at the Combat Club with Henry Hoof and all those guys. 
I know those guys are training hard for this. I know he's going to show up for this one. I know he's not going to need an oxygen tank at the end of this fight, Sean. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Des Green as well. But uh, and I'm, I'm going to pick him by controversial split decision, too, to piss off everyone oh. that, that picked Josh Emmett. So. But, Sean, we got two more prelims to talk about, man. And uh, we got Caitlin Chukagian. She's minus 170. She's taking on Irene Aldana, who's plus 150. And, I mean, dude, all I got to say about this one is, you know, Caitlin Chukagan, she's got the Holly Holm grunt and run type thing going on. You know what I mean? She sounds like a fucking tennis player grunting when she when she hits and runs. And with Irene Aldana, she came into the UFC with a lot of hype. I mean, because what, because she beat up fucking Peggy Morgan and goddamn Jessamine Duke on the regional scene? I mean, give me a fucking break. And then she goes in there, gets dropped by Leslie Smith. Look. One does not simply get dropped by Leslie Smith, Sean. And, I mean, Leslie Smith is a chick that fucking Jessica I look like a world beater against. You, you understand what I'm saying here, man? I mean, Jessica, oh, yeah. Jessica I can't win a fight in the UFC to save her life, but she looks like a world champion against uh, Leslie Smith. Not that MMA math works, but Leslie Smith goes in there against Irene Aldana. Irene is like minus 350, and Irene is getting dropped all over the place. So I ain't buying the hype. Yeah, maybe she shows up better in her sophomore appearance, but I got to go with what I know. And what I know is that Caitlin Chukagian is a more disciplined fighter, and I think she's going to hit and run to a unanimous decision. Oh, I agree. I agree that the over is minus 230. I agree that these checks are going to stay way outside and either land with basically no power or miss each other a whole shit ton. That's what I feel like. This is a sleeper. Get up and go drink a beer, take a piss, do whatever you're going to do. But don't sit in front of the TV because you're going to fall asleep. Yeah, going to be rolling some up for that one. But, dude, Miles Jury, last fight. He's minus 400. The comeback on Mike De La Torre is plus 325. Now, a couple of years ago, Sean, I would say this line is very accurate. And, man, I had high hopes for Miles Jury, but... You know, some guys just, you know, they, they, they take one loss and they never come back the same. You know, you find out who's mentally strong in this game. You find out who has, you know, who faces defeat like a champion and who faces defeat like a journeyman. And I'll tell you right here, right now on Half the Battle, that Miles Jury faced defeat like an absolute journeyman. I mean, look, in his run up until the Cowboy fight, right? I mean, I thought the dude had good size for 155. I mean, he's tall. He's mobile. I mean, the kid was a stud. He was knocking dudes out. He was taking dudes down and tapping them out. I was like, man, this kid could be something. Goes in there against Cowboy Cerrone, and he takes him down. Cowboy immediately gets an Uma Plata. Then he takes the back of Miles Jury. You know how Jury is like this fucking, he's like, oh, I, I do Jury Jiu-Jitsu. You know what I'm saying? He's one of those fucking guys yeah, that, yeah. that thinks he invented his own Jiu-Jitsu, which, like, you do, some, <laughs> you, you do some shit against, like, you do that shit against a real black belt, and they'll fucking slap you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so... So Miles Jury thinks he invented his own jiu-jitsu, and then he gets his back taken. He gets absolutely dominated. And after, after the first round, he broke because he didn't try to win the fight anymore after that. He was like, okay, I've accepted that I'm going to lose this fight. Now, he got, ass, he got his ass kicked, and he got ass kicked. Literally. A lot. Those fuck you kicks at yeah. the end, I, literally, he got his ass whooped. Literally. So after that fight, yes. you know, I thought to myself, hey, man, you know what? Everyone's got to take that first UFC loss. You know, it was a good learning experience for him. He went all three rounds with Donald Cerrone. Most guys get finished by him. So you know what? He's going to learn from me. He's going to come back better. And what happened, Sean? Not only does he not learn from it and not come back better, so he quits the sport. He moves teams. He changes weight classes. I mean, talk about facing defeat like a journey, man. 
and, and he takes over a year off, I mean, and he goes to the worst gym in the entire sport in Power MMA, hashtag Fade Power MMA, because, you know, we always fade Power MMA. And uh, he comes back, you know, he's like, you know what? Since I only took one loss, Sean, I'm going to drop a weight class. Like, imagine, uh, you know, Vic, you know, after the Benil Darush fight, if he was like, you know what? I took one loss, so I'm going to quit on myself and, and change weight. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what a champion does. When a champion takes a loss, they learn from it and they come back better. And this fucking guy, Jury, takes over a year off, changes camps, drops weight classes, which I thought he was big for 55. So why the fuck are you dropping a 45? Goes goes to 45, looks like a fucking concentration camp victim. I mean, like, and I'm allowed to talk like that. You know, my, my, my grandparents survived the Holocaust. So, you know, if anyone wants to talk shit, go fuck yourself. But the dude, dude straight up looked like a fucking Holocaust victim. You know what I mean? Like, dude has no business at 145. And you watch his fight with Du Bronx, it wasn't a fight, man. I mean, like, Jury doesn't have the same, you know, in-and-out movement that he did at 155. He looked like he couldn't move at 45. It looked like it was a completely different speed and a completely different guy. Like, wrong place, wrong time. Like, the dude should not be at 145. He should be at 155. But anyways, so he takes a year off after Cowboy, comes back a year later in a new weight class, new camp, new everything. Looks like absolute dog shit. Gets finished in, you know, under three minutes. Then takes another year off, moves camps again. I'm like, man... <laughs> This guy's a this guy's a jobber, man. He's a journeyman. But but fortunately for him, he's fighting another journeyman in Mike Delatore. And man, I wanted to find every reason to bet on Mike Delatore here. I'm like, man, it's plus three twenty five, fade Miles Jury. The dude don't want it no more. But uh, Mike Delatore, man. I mean, I watched his fights. I tried so hard to you know take this underdog shot. But man, I mean, even his wins are ugly, Sean. I mean, that Yochul Nam fight. It's just, look, Miles Jury is a better fighter than Mike Delatore everywhere. He's more technical. He's more everything. But the thing is, can he perform at 145? I'm not convinced, Sean. And also, I mean, what's up with him taking a year off after his first loss, then taking another year off after his second loss, switching camps, switching weight classes? I don't trust this dude at all. I see people parlaying Miles Jury. I really hope Delatore wins, bro. I really do because, I mean, it'd be nice to see him go out there get a nice win especially over this guy jury who clearly doesn't want it anymore who's clearly showing up for a paycheck but jury is better than delatory that's that's the reason i'm not taking the shot but uh i i sincerely hope delatory wins this fight sean and you know all the things that you said are true and you know and the the things that you just said about him switching and taking the year off and it really does go hand in hand with thinking you invented your own type of jiu-jitsu it's kind of true like <laughs> you know it's like a hot shot kid who who got brought back down to earth and he acted like a kid at, at multiple times but you know that same thing is, is kind of like a something he's got going for him as well because he's he's like 28 or 27 or something like that like he has shown real talent he's still young this might be looked back on as, as like a bump in the road and a, and a 33 year old miles jury is a, you know, outskirts of the top 10 type situation. You don't, you don't know. He's got time to turn this around. He could have matured, you know, he's, he's talented, but yes, I would look to fade that situation that you brought up of him moving and doing this and doing that and wrong weight class and how he looked in those last two fights, the yuck, but, uh, Mike Delatore is not going to be the guy. You know what I'm saying? Like the number is stupid, but I'm not getting baited into that one because Miles Jury's going to win. You know what I mean? Like the number is wrong, but I still got Miles Jury winning this one. My uh, Mike Delatore can 
be ended in a number of ways. Uh, can't trust them. Um, you know, with any luck for, for betting people, Miles Jury wins this, looks great. And then we get a, um, you know, a way too high number on him next time around with somebody with a, a pulse. Let's hope for that one instead. Miles Jury's the pick. Man, imagine if they did like Miles Jury versus Brian T. City Ortega. Oh my God, what a step. Uh, how mad would you be if you were Ortega? <laughs> that was the fight. You'd be like, oh, fuck. You make me go in reverse. Where is he? It's been a while. That's what I'm saying, man. I, I don't know where this dude Jesus. been. Hurry up. I need a, I need a round three win prop. I know, right? Him and Yoel, for life, they, they cash that, that round three prop. Hmm. Well, Sean, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Sean Carey Tattoo, what is the fight to watch for UFC 210? Uh, the fight to watch, <clears throat> usually my fight to watch is always the one that I think is going to be the most chaotic and the and the biggest chance for, you know, crazy bloodshed. That would be Alves and Cote would be that. But every now and then it's shown up by something I'm just so interested in and I really just want to see how it plays out. This would be the one that I'm most excited about, which would be, Musashi and Weidman. So I think that's the fight to watch. I really want to see, you know, if Musashi can shut down the takedowns and keep his distance, I want to see how Weidman reacts to that and what he can do about that if that happens. Um, It's a close fight. Two guys, you know, you could say both at the top of their game, despite what's happening in Weidman. Um, an important fight, a division-relevant fight. It's like Musashi is undeniably in the title picture. You can't go around him. You can't skip somebody else in front of him after UL. Or, you know, you could say, hey, Weidman's still dangerous. He still can do this. He's back. You know, it's like if he was to look good or stop Musashi or something crazy like that, That's a. it's like a complete rebirth as he was to do that. It's, it's very relevant, very fun, and, and high, high, high level. So that's that's the fight to watch. But if you want blood and guts, it's Alves and Cote. Dude, I'm 100% with you. The fight to watch is for sure Gegard Musasi versus Chris Weidman. Look, we said it already. Musasi's got the momentum going into this one. If he wins this fight, he'll finally realize that first UFC title shot. And with Weidman, his back's up against the wall. He's fighting in New York for the second time in a row. This guy needs a victory. So when you got two bulls colliding, I mean, shit's going to go down, man. You definitely got to tune into that fight. Now, Sean Carey Tattoo, who is the fighter to watch for UFC 210? Fighter to watch is absolutely slimed off. Like, you know, if, if it wasn't already real, we could say this guy has a lot of hype. But it's not hype. We've seen it. It's real. So he's finally here. It's, you know, it's another chance to take this division and, and pump some new scary threat into it. Um, you know, a fun guy to watch, uh, a well-rounded guy, you know, maybe even a special guy. So, you know, he could dispose of Laosita, and that's not going to convince too many people of too many things. And if he looks ordinary against Lausa, that's that's not good either. But 
I think that he's going to come out. He's going to look great. He's going to show some striking. He's going to show some fancy stuff. Then he's finally going to show some takedowns and some wrestling. And at the end of it, you're going to be like, wow, that's, that's a well-rounded veteran dude who's been doing this sport forever, who, can, who looks to have the skills to beat anyone anywhere. And that's going to be this guy's debut. So you're welcome. Enjoy Flavendorf, and and hopefully he looks good going forward, and and we hear about him for a long time. He's he's definitely one of my favorite. Uh, I would say up and coming. If he wasn't already here, one of my favorite up and coming guys. My fighter to watch is Gregor Gillespie. Look, man, I was blown away with his UFC debut, and I'll tell you what, man, this kid could become one of my money trains, one of the guys that I bet on every single fight. So I hope he doesn't have too dominant of a performance so that he's not, you know, minus 700 next fight. But still, man, I think he's going to neutralize Holbrook in a way that no one's ever done before. And you're going to see some real high-level wrestling. I'm not talking about, you know, a, you know, a D2 guy. I'm talking about a D1 national champ, you know, an All-American that went to the finals with Jordan Burroughs. That's what I'm talking about here. And a dude that has no problems getting hit. I mean, you hit the guy, he's going to keep trying to... He's going to keep trying to win. That's what I love when I'm looking to bet someone. I love a guy that he's trying to win the fight at all costs, no matter what, no matter what you hit him with. And I think that's that's who Gregor Gillespie is. And I'm taking a shot on him, man. I'm taking a big risk on him. I'm putting a max bet on him. So, Gregor, you got a chance to prove me right here, man. Let's see what you got, bro. Well, Sean Carey tattoo. We did it, man. UFC 210. Half the battles in the books. Now it comes down to the fights themselves. It's been a pleasure. And next week... Jacare Souza versus Robert Whitaker. You already know what's going to go down on that one, man. It's uh, Someone's getting finished there. I'll tell you that right now. And, Sean, it's been a pleasure, bro. Yeah, as always. We've got a string of good ones coming up, too. Yeah, and then I heard there's a chance uh, we, might see face, we might see each other face-to-face -face in Nashville. That's right. I'm going to punch you right in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, my, my nuts are more iron than my chin, just so you know. Hint, hint, wait, right. wait. Nah, but, uh, <laughs> man, it's been real. Let the audience know. I mean, they already know where to follow you, Sean Carey Tattoo. But, I mean, is there anything else you, you're looking to plug here? I mean, didn't, didn't some camera crew come down to your, your tattoo studio recently? I mean, yes. That, yes, my tattoo shop was just on a <laughs> my big, fat, fabulous life with the, with the star of the show getting tattooed in the shop. But I don't know who would want to watch that. But just in case, just in case you are the one person listening to this who also watches that, when she's in there getting tattooed, that's my place. That's weird that you remembered that. Yes, that happened. I'm like the elephant. I never forget. Now, everyone that checked this out, thank you so much for checking out Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow Sean Carey at Sean Carey Tattoo. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. All my plays, as always, are on bestfightpicks.com. Hook up the five-star reviews. Tell your friends to subscribe. We appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.